I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore at the moment. Although the train is going to come through at any moment and somebody going to holler down the street and street cleaning is going to come, but it's quiet now. So obviously, well, maybe not obvious to you, but obvious to me, I'm definitely going to be talking about Issa Rae's latest um, HBO Max offering um, because it's very intriguing. But before I get there, I want to talk, I want to follow up with a revelation that just hit me like a ton of bricks and I feel like I missed it um, from Nope. So I'm just going to say it real quick and then I'll leave it. If you still haven't watched Nope, I'm just going to hit it real quick. I'll give you the timestamp to avoid. Um, and then I'll move on because I have a larger point that I want to make. Um, and then I want, can, can I just talk about F-Boy Island for a second? Um, I finally sat down and watched most of the first season and, oh gosh, I have thoughts. Um, so anyway, so, um, yeah, I'll talk about those two things and then I'll just slide right on into talking about Issa Rae's newest show. Anyhow, but let me just hit Nope real quick, okay? And if you have not watched Nope, I'm going to say the plot of it. Well, let me just let me just give you some background. So, I don't watch a lot of TV. Well, I mean, I watch TV, but I watch a lot of like Netflix and subscription TV, so I avoid the commercials that I do end up seeing um, are related to products that those particular shows want you to see. So I'm not seeing a whole lot of previews for a lot of things. Um, if I'm hearing about shows coming out, it's literally because specific um, marketing has been pushed to me through any of my social medias because I fit a certain demographic um, in the algorithm. And so I'll get it that way. So obviously Nope was pushed to me and I watched the trailer. And of course, you know, I did a review over it. And so now, you know, when in doing the research on it, of course, all the different places where I did any research is now pinging that as something that I might be interested in. So of course it's pushing me different articles. Um, and so you, you know how it is like it, how I do it. I don't watch local news that like that, or even cable news like that. I mostly get my news from social media because I follow a lot of reporters, local reporters and international reporters. Um, I even follow news outlets like Al Jazeera and, um, the AP and CNN. Um, and so I get my news that way. And sometimes I watch local if I really want to hear more on the story that I just saw a reporter from either the sun or the banner tweet out. Right. So anyway, that's how, that's kind of how I navigate news, entertainment and, you know, and, and local international politics, all of that. That's how I navigate getting my news. It feels better for me. It helps me to kind of quiet the noise a little bit. I love how the fact that when something devastating happens and people like to talk about it over and over and over again, which can be triggering for me sometimes, I can just uh, eliminate or choose a keyword to no longer hear any, see any articles or um, videos or posts about anything that includes that thing that I want to avoid. I appreciate that. Um, I don't do that often. It's just, I typically do it when someone has passed away tragically and 
Usually it's around anything that's related to mental health. I try to curate that because the discourse, man, it tends to be just the vitriol is ridiculous because it, it, we don't talk about, we've gone to not wanting to talk about it at all because it's taboo to labeling every, everything, including every action to be based on mental health. And that's simply not true. While there are air, there's aspects of what motivates people can be influenced by their mental health condition. Certainly some of the most heinous crimes in the whole wide world, certainly some of the most heinous crimes that have happened even on U.S. soil cannot be attributed to mental health alone, but we like to do that. And by we, I'm saying news media, sometimes individual folks who want to assign meaning, different meaning, and it, it, it seems easier, more readily available to just put it on, oh, this person was mentally ill or living with a mental health condition or living with a mental health challenge. I'm changing my, my language. I'm learning to change my language. Um, living with a mental health challenge um, and or dealing with mental health challenges in that moment. That's that. Anyway, the discourse can be a lot. So I curate a lot of things. So it's easy for me to miss certain things but not miss other things like underground thoughts about something or news articles that are, are information that is rising to the national news level. But I get it because it's been spread through my network of social, you know, black TikTok, black Twitter, uh, so on and so forth. Um, book Twitter, all I'm on different types of <laughs> Twitter spaces, TikTok spaces. Um, but nevertheless, that's how I get my news. And so because, and, and, but everybody's, everybody's social, how they get their news, especially if they're reliant on articles coming out like me or news or services like Google that will push you articles that you typically read, um, or stories that you might be interested in. Um, everybody's does that, right? And so, because I looked into Nope, I'm now getting articles from big outlets and small outlets of talking about the why um, and nuances to it. I even got pushed to Bud, BuzzFeed's video with Kiki Palmer where she's answering those burning questions from the Internet or whatever, which you learn information about the, the star, but you don't actually learn a lot about them. You just learn <laughs> trivia. Anyway, so hers was long, though. It was really long, but it was interesting. Um, And she's a character, so she is an auntie waiting, just waiting to come into her auntiedom. The way that her character, she puts on her character. I wonder how she is in real life. Because the way she puts on her character, she is an auntie in waiting. Um, Cannot wait to become Niecy Nash. You know what I mean? And maybe that's, I'm not trying to be insulting to her. She just comes across as... Hoo-wee, like wise beyond her years, has seen a lot. And actually, because she was a child star, she probably has seen a lot. So let me not do too much. Let me not do too much on her. Anyway, but so blah, 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 articles are coming up. And again, from big outlets and small outlets. And some of the smaller outlets I tend to avoid because sometimes, most of the time, you already know, they they give out, they send out clickbaity headlines. Um and you don't want to give them any clicks, so you avoid it or tell whatever news service that you're looking at, Apple News Service or whatever. I don't want to ever see an article from this agency again or like this again. And you just keep it pushing. But there was one article that caught my eye that was not from a big news source. 
it wasn't even from Entertainment Weekly. It was from some, not even IndieWire. It was some smaller article that I was about to reject, but the title was intriguing to me. And um, I didn't get a chance to read it. I didn't get a chance to read the article, but the title was interesting to me. And it kind of sent me into a thought pattern that off and on on Saturday, I believe it was Saturday, off and on I was, no, it was Sunday. Off and on I was thinking about it. And then I think like, I don't know what the heck was happening, but it was like eight or nine. And the epiphany hit me about the plot of Nope. And the article title read Jordan Peele, something to the effect of Jordan Peele says the a hint of a nod to the plot is in the title. And that sent me. And maybe you're smarter than I am. You're quicker than I am, too. And you got it right away if you watched Nope. But if you haven't watched Nope, I'm only talking to the people that watch Nope or don't care. Okay? So if you haven't watched Nope and you are planning to, skip to 10 minutes, okay? If you just skip to 10 minutes, I promise you, I'm going to say this real quick and then I'm going to let you go on, okay? So... You know how Jordan Peele's movies work out, right? So what do we know about Nope? Okay. Nope. Uh, Ricky. Ricky was befriended or had a relationship with this alien since he was a child, right? And the alien had something like an agreement with Ricky. There was some sort of connection there with Ricky that I'm going to bring you on if you just you know, help me make some more money because you saved me. Okay. We got this mutual beneficial agreement. Don't know how they talk, but that's, there it is. But, oh shoot. All right. If you, (laughs) I took too long. So if you, um, if you still don't want story uh, spoilers, go to 11, go to 11, go to 11. Okay. Now, anyway, so long story short. So there's this mutually beneficial relationship and while things were always happening, nothing truly happened to OJ and his sister until what? It started to look up. Everything that it took, everything that it took was because it was perceived to be paying it mind, right? And so what happened when OJ and his sister's face were down? What happened? Minding their business, right? The plot of Nope is to mind your business. Regardless of what's going on, mind your business. And that tripped me out because you're right. Because what was what was the plot of us? Wouldn't it? Have you ever thought? Have you ever thought about? Um, everybody has had it. First off, it's a it's a thing that somebody's walking around with a face that's similar to mine, to to yours. My husband and one of my former coworkers has told told me on multiple occasions over a couple of years. My husband told me recently as recent as a month ago that he saw somebody that a woman who looked just like me, it was slightly different, but if we were from a distance, they would have thought my husband said it would, my husband and one of my coworkers from a, from a previous job swore it was me and not in that weird way, but like, girl, your, she appeared to be your height appeared to be your build, appeared to be your skin, your skin color, face was similar. 
but this was the only difference. In hindsight, this was the only difference. So we all know that we have doppelgangers, right? We have people who look sort of like us, but not, but aren't like us, right? And I'm not, I, you know, there was no funny business in the delivery room. I am who I am. There's only one of me. But we all know that globally, there are other people that look similar to us, especially if you compare photos and use certain angles and shadows and lights. But even in person, we have we're walking around with similar features to someone else who's walking around the globe, too. Anyway, so but who hasn't had that thought that what if my what if there was an alternate universe and my twin myself was something totally different. And so that's what, you know, that's what us plays on. And we all, we've all, um, smart people, really smart people and college students, master's students have wrote theses on, um, on get out. Right. And we get out is still a part of (laughs) the sunken place. Get out still produces the the lexicology, get out, uh, excuse me. The sunken place is now a part of our lexicon right? Or at least the African-American dialect, you're in the sunken place. I'm sure I've heard that on TV, like in a, in a, um, in a TV program, like a, a news, news show that, that they're in the sunken place in reference to the political party or something like that. Now, by the time we start getting references to it on the news show, it's already kind of passe, right? But, um, yeah, like Jordan Peele out here influencing culture through his through his artwork. And here's my point. I understand why Hollywood and in just entertainment industry pushes out similar product over a certain number of years because if you know something works, why not keep doing the thing? Why not keep using the same formula? If the math works, why not keep using that same formula? Except in the concept of entertainment, what ends up happening is because you're pushing out the same thing. Now, mind you, this is a gross oversimplification. This is, has, says nothing to nothing about the, the racial, ethnic biases that exist, um, sexism, ageism that exists in entertainment centers that uh, make it difficult for many people to find success, right? I'm not even talking about that. I'm literally talking about formulas. And a lot of entertainment centers globally, all of them, let's be for real, all of them produce, they want to make money. And the only sure way to make money is to replicate something that has already made money until that, that formula is run into the ground and then you find a new thing to replicate, right? But when you do that, you miss really great art, you miss really great stories, and you, 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 kind of, you kind of muddle the integrity of the original when you keep making copies of it, right? So I'm saying all this to say that I don't know too many American directors, regardless of their ethnic background, their ethnicity, I don't know too many American directors that, can, that could make a nope, could make an us, could make a, a get out. I know that there'll probably be similar stories, but Jordan Peele's Jordan Peele's lens is unique. And what is more, I don't know too many directors outside of the United States that would be able to make the stories that he's making because they're so unique to you. 
while some of the concepts are universal, the thought process behind them and why they resonate to so many people is because it's just something that is an, it's not an unspoken. He's, he's, he's speaking and then embellishing something that's kind of an unspoken sort of concept. You know what I mean? How often do we talk about, well, we, I guess we talk about doppelgangers a lot, but like to this degree, like, and in this way, and I know that there have been films about doppelgangers, but not like this, not like this. This is unique. This is unique to Jordan Peele's cultural background, which is the same for squid games. Again, that concept of the rich playing games with the poor, that's not a unique concept, but how the how how we got there totally unique totally unique don't think that any any there were probably other directors that could have korean directors that could have come close but definitely that product could not have come anywhere else but from korea also what is the name there's a film called um, the, the um, White Tiger out of India. Again, it's about a ca- it's it's well the caste system is unique to India, but classism is not. Classism is global, but still, that story while that story probably could have been told by other Indian directors, may not have come out the same way. You know, as unique as the director had, but it definitely could not have come anywhere else but from out of India. Likewise, the Night of the... um, Not Night Kings. Oh, shucks. Was it Night of the Kings? What was that indie film that came out in... I think it was 2019. It was either 2019 or 2020. Maybe it was 21. Anyway, it was basically storytelling. And while storytelling is in every culture, and certainly storytelling is a huge part, it's something that we really um, pride ourselves on in the African diaspora. Actually, everybody tells stories. Storytelling is how we passed on history. It's just storytelling is a big deal because griots exist even in African and African-American culture today because our stories are so important to us to pass them on. There's a, like a, a, anyway, I think, I think a type of griot exists in every sort of culture, but it's just, I know that stories are hugely important. Learning stories from elders is something that was taught to me. Um, and something that is meant to be passed on. And so anyway, um, but that movie, I think it was shot in Chad. It was a Francophone country, a Francophone African country. I can't call the name of the country, but that story, the way it was told and it could not have come from anywhere else. And so when you start to replicate things that have made you success, you miss opportunities to engage with stories that are totally new. Simple, could even be simple. What was the story of the Night Kings? Dude was trying to find a new storyteller and actually he was trying to not die and prolong his life. And in doing so, he made this person who surely was going to die in his stead 
um, tell a story for what, 12, 13, 12 hours or something like that. And it was a story within a story happening. Just the way that thing unfolded, that story couldn't have come from anywhere. That movie couldn't have come from anywhere else. Not successfully. Not in the way that it came out there. And again, I could go on and on and on. Um, There's a Korean... Anyway, I could go on and on and on. There's just certain stories that are so unique to a cultural lens that it could only be told from a certain perspective and you'll never get it if you're only producing and only greenlighting the same projects over and over again, which is what, which is what I keep wanting to say Hollywood, but it's not unique to Hollywood, Nollywood, Bollywood, any sort of entertainment center across the, the, the globe. It's what it is, man. Like corporate at the end of the day, these are corporations, movie studios are corporations, no matter where they are. No, no matter what country they're in, they are corporations who are designed to make money. And at the end of the day, it is easier for them to churn out the same thing that will bring them back money. Now, mind you, this is, this is void of all other nuances that we know that exist. Colorism and all of that. Um, but nevertheless, I just appreciate seeing when, when, when unique stories get to peek through. Because baby... Baby, there's just nothing like it. When you get something fresh, boy, oh boy. When you get something fresh, it's truly nothing like it. Anyway, um, so, all right. So anyway, I just thought that was fascinating. And I apologize if you, if you missed the spoiler. If you got the spoiler, I, I apologize for ruining that for you. But it should not stop you from watching the film because I certainly didn't tell you anything else um, that was relevant. Um but now, so anyway, but, but watch the film because it's good. It's real good. And I'm sure by now it's made up, it's made back all the money that it had pushed out for um, its budget or that it spent. I'm quite sure it made all its money back. And now we just racking in the dough. Um, but let me switch real gear. Let me switch gears to uh, talking about F-Boy Island. And I think, and again, I've only watched the first episode. I know that there are two, uh, excuse me, the first most of the first season. I know there are two seasons that exist, but I'm going to say this. I really had high hopes for the women. I thought they were going to be more discerning because the whole premise of the show is I'm tired. The whole reason for these, yeah, the whole premise of the show is you've got these beautiful women who are tired of being played by 'er ne'er-do-wells And then you've got this group of, what, 24 people, men, this is very binary, so um, three women, 24 men, 12 of whom ain't about nothing, 12 of whom lie like it's breathing. And then the other 12 are purported to be nice guys who just want to be in a long-term relationship. But here's what we know. Here's what we find out immediately. Sometimes there's not a difference. There's, there is no discernible difference between a nice guy and um, an F-boy. Sometimes what we know is that F-boys, what we know at the end of the day is that men, specifically American men, but men in general, don't get a lot of rearing. It's a rare thing for, it, it feels like it's a rare thing for men 
people who identify to be cisgender men, even if they don't use those terms, are raised as a... Let me just back up because I don't want to be completely unfair. There are higher standards put on women to behave, to not draw attention to themselves. If we draw attention to ourselves, we get what we got. We get what's coming to us is kind of how the, our culture, now this is global. Our culture is kind of taught even in quote unquote, um, liberal places like France and Sweden and all of those European countries that, that, that white folks like to fantasize about that are completely different and, and you know, everything, equality and all of that stuff, even though they have better laws and protections for women, there's still a through line to women globally, which is there's more onus on women to protect themselves against, to make sure that they are not inviting unwanted attention from men, which is wild because what should be taught, and again, I know that many people in my generation are teaching their their cisgender boys and even some of the men in my generation, cisgender men in my generation, well, not even cisgender, well, no, specifically cisgender because if, not that, not that trans men can't be homophobic or I don't, I'm not trying to say homophobic. Trans men can absolutely be misogynistic, especially they can because anyone can be wild, right? But specifically speaking to straight men who are often the perpetrators of violence against women, especially intra-racial violence against women, violence against women from your own cultural background, um, it doesn't, it, it feels as if, and from the stories that we hear, men as they're growing into men are really taught to control themselves and to the nuances to building relationships with another person. Um, let alone someone who's a love interest, what ends up happening is there's a whole lot of onus on being a tough guy and earning and seeming to be in control all the time and how that manifests is that you want to get your way all the time, which ends up being you acting real, real bratty. And so I say all of that to say, in my in, in watching this show, there is no, to me, no discernible difference between the good guys and the quote-unquote F-boys because they all appear to be spoiled brats. But this is a TV show. These all appear to be cringy children in adult male bodies. And then we look at the women. Actually, this whole show feels very vapid, very shallow, and weird to me because I think it just makes me angry because I said all of that about shallow men and men trying to overcome not being pushed to be better if to be more whole and well-rounded people because let's be for real even artsy there's a there's a guy on there that's artsy right I'm, I'm renewing my whole take now. I still stand by that women are held to, even as and, and children are held to higher standards of behavior than men. I think that's not, I don't think you can argue that. I don't care what culture you grew up in. I think women are held to, I think it's universal that women tend to be held to higher standards of, of behavior than men. Um, although to a person it's different 
culturally speaking, overall, that's kind of, that's the world we're living in in the moment. No matter what country you're from, it's where we're living in in the moment. Um, and so anyway, but having said all of that, it really also does come down to the people and how they're engaging. And my critique of these men that are on here is that, yuck, y'all are children on a game show. You like the worst people to be on this game show because you're children and manipulative to boot. Every time you want to think that the F boys are just See, this is a quintessential F-boy. You look at somebody who's quote-unquote a nice guy, and there's a, there's a firefighter on here who's cringe Space invader. Too doggone close. Possessive. But he's, a, he's a supposed to be a nice guy. <coughs> Mind you, it's the same behavior that the, um, the F-boys exhibit when they're not getting their way. But when they are getting their way, they're smooth talkers because they're manipulating. So at, at, at any stretch of the, any way you look at it, they're all, this is a game show. And so everybody's trying to manipulate everyone. And so there is no discernible difference to me between the good guys and, and the quote unquote F boys on that show. But then I look at the women and I'm thinking, I'm mad because these women have been, it's clear that these women have been emotionally manipulated in their past. And there's something about their personality that I think the show played on because they knew that it would make for good TV. Or maybe they were told to behave a certain way because there's this one character on here. And I call her a character because we don't know if these are these real people. As far, this is a game show. For all we know, these people are just going on here and told to be a certain way. But there's a character on here. So I'm, that's why I'm calling them characters. So there's a character on here named CJ in the first season. Um... And I think she is the most frustrating to me out of all of them because she comes across as a very strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and wants someone to be strong next to her with a strong will, but also who's kind and who is a well-rounded individual. She really takes a liking to one person, but you know the moral of the story, you gotta boot somebody off, it is a competition. So these three women are booting men off left and right, and there gets to be a point where it's midway, where they need to start whittling things down. And, and, and what you know is that sometimes, because everybody is attractive on that show, there, there's a level of attractiveness. Now I will say that it's so wild to me that the men, all of the men within reason are like tall and big, muscular, right? And all of these women on here have the same exact body types. They're slender and got long hair. Yep, slender and long hair and a little bit of booty and a little bit of breast. But they all kind of, they, they, they come in different colors. I think CJ is um, a part of the Asian diaspora. I just don't know what country her people might be from, but she's definitely, it feels that she's a, a part of the Asian diaspora. She might be Indian, if I'm not mistaken. She might be Indian. She also could be Cambodian. Cambodian. Um, but she's a, I feel like she's a part of the Asian diaspora. She presents as part of the Asian diaspora. Um, and then there's a white girl on there, and then there's a black girl on there. Um, and all long, but they all have long hair, and they all look, 
They all have the same body type. And all the men on there essentially have the same body type too, tall, built. And there are brown people. There's a lot of black men on there, some white people on there, and some Asian men on there, and uh, an Afro-Latina, Afro-Latino man on there. Um, Some white guy from France, but he's still white. Um, And... I think there's a guy named Israel. There's a dude on there named Israel. I think he might be from South America. But um, anyway, um, but they all, for the most part, kind of look, they're kind of given the same looks, all of the people, for the most part. There are some shorter ones. There are some slimmer males. But for the most part, the bulk of them are tall and big, muscular. Or, or like swimmer muscular like bulky, like weightlifter muscular or football player muscular or swimmer muscular. They're tall and just got muscles all over the place or baseball muscular. Anyway, um, so CJ, the reason why I'm so frustrated at this thing, because CJ comes across as a woman who's fed up. She's all about her business and she... Yeah, she just, she wants a real relationship, which how real can you get on a game show? But anyway... Um, so she goes on this, sh- so she's picking off people left and right because that's the name of the game. And then she gets to this one person that she, st- she hit it off with right away. And the only reason why I remember his name is because his initials are her initials too. Like she goes by CJ. His name is Casey Jordan, like Casey Jordan something. And so he goes by CJ as well. And so the two CJs hit it off, right? And he seems as if he's a nice boy, but then there begins to be cracks in his facade. And when, when um, CJ doesn't behave the way he wants her to, he begins to show his true colors, right? And so she, there's a moment where, there's a point in the game where, or the game starts out that the women put three people up for um, elimination, but only eliminate one person or two people up, my bad put two people up for elimination, but only actually eliminate one person. Um, and this particular point in the game where the CJs are at odds with each other because the, the F boy in Casey has just come out and CJ has seen it and she doesn't like it. He, she puts him up on the chopping block, but she's trying to teach him a lesson. But in actuality, what ends up happening is that the game show host says, well, this is going to be a little bit of a twist. Everybody who's up for elimination is actually going home. And so in this moment, Casey is super stunned. And so is CJ. CJ is is looking. She turns into a mouse. She's acting like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, my goodness. And in this point, she becomes a mouse and he becomes a monster. And so Casey starts to denigrate her in front of everyone denigrate her in front of everyone saying that nobody on this show deserves to be with her because he, he picks the sweetest person on the show that is interested in her. <clears throat> and she's, and he says, you don't deserve even, he doesn't even deserve you. He's too sweet. He's too sweet and too innocent. And you don't, he, you don't deserve him. You don't deserve him. <clears throat> and then he storms out and then he's doing his confessional as you do when you get eliminated. And he's still going off, still going off on on CJ. And then while he's going off on CJ, here comes CJ apologizing to him. That sent me through the moon. I kept watching it. 
And it got worse for me as the shows went off. How are you going to apologize to somebody that just tore you down in front of everybody else because he was mad, he was eliminated? He was an F-boy. Here's the other thing. You don't know who, at, at this point of the show, you didn't know who they came in as, an F-boy or a nice guy, until elimination. And at this moment, he got eliminated, so he was told to disclose, and he disclosed that he was an F-boy. And true to form, he was acting like an F-boy. But she ran after him. Not only that, but he leaves the island. He leaves the, the show for a second. Well, he doesn't leave the show. You guys know that the turn is that everybody, every F-boy, that every person that's been eliminated, good, nice guy or F-boy goes to, they don't leave the island. They just go to a separate place for later use. I haven't gotten to the part where they bring everybody back together. It doesn't matter to me because I'm not watching anymore. And the reason why I'm not watching anymore is because Casey was banished to the F-boy space where it's not fun and... You know, it's supposed to be like they're living very primitively because they're trash and they need to live as trash, trashy as their lives. But um, but what ends up happening is Casey gets a ride from, I guess, a part of his story arc is that he gets a ride on a motorcycle because he wants to go back to CJ and redeem himself. He comes back and she accepts him with open arms because she missed him so. And I'm thinking... This, this can't be real life. This cannot be real life. Because this man dogged you in front of all the contestants on the show, plus everybody at home watching it. You know this is being recorded, right? He dogged you and you don't know him from Adam. You only know him through the show and he dogged you. And you gonna accept him with open arms. I can't watch the show anymore. Because even if this isn't her, let's just assume for a second that that's not her actual personality, that there is no way on God's green earth that she would ever be with Casey because he's a, do- he's a dog and he's trash. You agreed to the storyline that you would accept this quote unquote good guy or bad guy turned good. There's nothing good about how he left. Don't nobody, nobody's supposed to talk to you. Let me say it how I meant, how I wanted to say it. Don't nobody's supposed to talk to you like that. You're supposed to have more self-worth than that. And she purported herself to, she, she, she held herself. I don't even know what I'm saying because I'm frustrated by the show. She made it seem as if she was a woman who had integrity about herself and, and that she knew how she wanted to be treated she knew she didn't want to be treated like trash anymore. She, she had discernment. And a pretty face ain't going to con me. But clearly, it did. And I don't want to see this. What? I don't want to see this no more. Literally, she's whining. But, and the, other, the white girl, so, so she's running behind some man that trashed her in front, dogged her out in front of other people. Talked to her greasy in front of other people. And you think that's the man that you, that's, you, you going to change him, baby. You don't got, anyway, so there's that. But then there's this, uh, the, actually all of them get on my nerves because the white girl whose name I can't remember, um, there's this white guy who looked like he ain't about nothing. Already been calling a lot two, three times, had a girlfriend before he went on the show, broke up. She gets on the phone. 
she goes, he, and he didn't tell her about it, of course. She gets on the phone. Old girl basically gives her the answers that she wants to hear, but there's some tones and inflections to it that make you think that she's saying the words, but she don't mean the words that she's saying. And old girl's like, oh, I believe him. It's cool. Yeah, it's fine. We talked about it. He is a dog. And then he, gonna go, he uses emotional manipulation to try to get what he wants. He's a dog. And she keeping him around. And then the black girl, whose name I can't remember right now either, um, she had two. One of the dudes, both of them are fine, right? She had two guys whose name I can't remember. Um, And I can't remember the white girl's dude that was manipulating her either. I can't remember his name. But anyway, um, but the black girl had two black guys who were vying for her attention both of them at boys, both of them built, but one of them is more built than the other one. Lion. One of them is emotionally manipulative as all get out. Some, something like CJ and CJ or Casey to CJ. Um, and then the other one. No. Yeah. The, the, the one is emotionally, the big bulky one is, is emotionally manipulative. But the slender, bulky, uh, the slender, muscular one is like holding on by a thread because he's trying to manipulate her. And he keeps trying to, he keeps goading the other bigger guy into a fight to fight him so that he can get kicked off. And I'm like, and she's still, she's still holding him around. Now, I was at the episode where she, uh, no, she saved them both, actually. Never mind. She didn't get rid of none of them. She saved them both. She was playing the same game that CJ was playing. And my thing is just like, this is dumb to me. So y'all pick the right girl. Either you pick the right girls. Well, you pick the right girls either way. They literally need time to themselves and counseling to be able to be, to find better romantic partners for themselves. Or they just in it for the, actually, I'm not even mad if they're in it for the money. I understand that. But at the same time, this image is that you're projecting or this image that you are putting out into the world is frustrating because what you're saying is you, you, these characters that y'all are playing, cause I refuse to believe these are these actual women. I refuse the characters that you are playing are strong, but emotionally weak is essentially what you're putting out there. Because every one of these women have been dogged by the people that they're still hanging around. The white girl, he lied to your face. You gonna get on FaceTime with his ex-girl, girlfriend. And you gonna believe that's like, you don't pick up no context clues, body language, nothing. Yeah, yeah, I believe him. It's fine. Yeah, I'm gonna keep him around. Okay, girl, what a dummy. And then the black girl. Both of them should have been 86 a minute ago. Come on. Like, what are you talking about? So dumb. Don't watch that show. It's very frustrating. There's a reason why I didn't watch F-Boy Island. At first, I thought it was entertaining. But as this thing went on, it just stopped being entertaining for me and started being frustrating. And I got hubby into it. And unfortunately, he gonna have to watch it by himself. Because I always get him like that. I always just put him onto a show. And we start watching. And he's into the show, but it probably actually he's into it for the same reason that I was because we were both critiquing the the heck out of the show or the contestants, all of them, um, including the women as we were uh, going through it. Because I'm like, girl, why are you putting up with this? He's clearly lying. 
you know he got to go, right? I know you're trying to win this money, but like at least win it with somebody that ain't no dog or at least is not playing a dog. Unless it's part of the show that you do that. But anyway, it's just a wild show. I don't recommend it. Um, But anyway, I just had to get that off my chest because I feel like I wasted hours of my life watching that show only to not finish the season because I was so frustrated. Anyway, let me move on. Um, All right, because I didn't talk so long, so I don't want to keep you on this. This ain't going to be a two-hour episode. It's not. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to move on, and I didn't want to say say it in the beginning, but I want to give you a language warning and in case you don't want to hit all that cussing and, and whatnot. The name of the show, I'm a language warning, and I'll put that in the show notes, but the name of the show is called Rap Shit. And there's an exclamation point in the middle of the eye, uh, where the eye should be um, in shit because um, I bet you they can't. HBO cannot actually release a show called Rap Shit. Just like F-Boy Island, like probably couldn't release a show spelling out what F-Boy, F, the F in F-Boy actually means. Um, so anyway, but yeah, so I'm going to talk about um, the show itself. I'm going to go through it the way I go through it all, the, the, this, uh, anything else. So I'm going to talk about the particulars first. Um, there are three episodes out, so I think I'll just talk about them all in one go and all in one sitting. I think I'll just talk about all three. The fourth episode is coming out. It comes out on Friday. So this for, the fourth episode is coming out. By the time you're hearing this, it'll come out to uh, the, the release day. How about this? This is this podcast. Is, this episode is released on Thursdays. So by the time this episode comes out. The fourth episode of Rap Shit is on, comes out on Friday. So it always drops on Fridays. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna, when I come back, it's all about Rap Shit, um, the particulars, and then right into each episode, okay? So stay tuned. Okay, so Issa Rae's rap shit. All right. Um, so first off, I th- I think I got my wires crossed. Drop day for new episodes on the epi- um for the show is actually on Thursdays. I don't know why I thought drop day was Friday, but anyway, it's actually Thursday. So by the time you're listening to this episode, there's gonna my episode. There's gonna be a new episode of Rap Shit tonight. Um, okay, so like I said, so far there are three episodes, but by the time it, by the time it reaches the evening um, on August 4th, which is the day that this, uh, my show releases, um, the newest episode will come out. And so far we've got episode one, something for the city, episode two, something for the girls, episode three, something for the hood, um, and episode four is supposed to be something for the club. So obviously something, you know, being put in the clubs. All right. But let me go back. Um, let me go back and give you overview. So first episode was July 21st. This is an Issa Rae production. Um, it stars. Hold on, because I thought I had a way that I wanted to do this. I really only want to talk about. 
um, three folks in, well, three folks in a possible, uh, and a guest appearance. So, um, let me say this, um, um, well, hold on. Uh, so the executive producers are Issa Rae, Sarita Singleton, Montrell McKay, Denise Davis, Dave Becky, Jonathan Berry, the producers, straight producers, and Alex Matla, Fran Richter, Richter, Lou, Fusaro, Sarah Potts. I'm actually reading this because I thought I was going to see a name that I do not see. Um, <clears throat> right, hold on. Nope. Yeah, I thought I was going to see a name I don't see. Um, hmm. Well, anyway, it stars... Uh, well, hold on, let me keep reading. Nope. Nope. Oh, each episode is 31 to 32 minutes. Um, like I said, it, um, it's on HBO Max. It stars Aida Osman. I think that's how she says her name. You know, Aida is an interesting name because when... Um, when white, when a white person that I'm around that has grown up predominantly around other white people, they reference a Sarah McLachlan song and they say, they call a person who spells their name A-I-D-A as Ada. And I just don't get that. Every, because every time, even though I was raised, no, I wasn't raised predominantly around white people. I went to, I went to school with predominantly white people. And I had my school friends were predominantly white, but I was raised around my black family and my black cousins. So the only shocking, but the only time I've ever heard Aida is in reference to uh, um, someone who's Latinx and it was Aida. I never heard it said, <clears throat> said Ada. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm gonna say Aida. Aida Osman, who plays Shauna Clark, who's a struggling rapper who works at, at a hotel. Now, she is, She's listed first because she is the, she's like the central character, but without, and the central character being a, a, oh my goodness. I I resonate with her so much, even though I was never, ever a rapper. I resonate with her so much because when I made my turn from wanting to shy away from, from, looking back on it now, my college years, I was just mad that I didn't get to experience blackness all the time, not just at home and with my extended family, but like all the time and all aspects of black culture. And so I felt like I was having to make up for a lot of things. And in doing so, I put on this, I started to absorb all the social justice because I was already in community service and, and, and community work. I just didn't know it at the time. But anyway, I put on a lot of stuff and I didn't, I couldn't find me. In trying to learn more, I put on the clothing of what I thought, how I thought I should be. And in Shauna Clark, what we come to know throughout the episodes is that's kind of how she was doing too. And she's still kind of figuring herself out. I think I'm I'm going to go on in a minute, but one of the things that we need to recognize is if you're a certain age, because again, I looked at the demographics and even though um, my show, the people who are listening to my show tend to be a little bit, not tend to be, there are, <clears throat> there's a demographic of folks who are 18 and hovering around like the early 20 somethings. There are far more of you who are late twenties, 
mid, uh, early to middle 30s and even in your 40s, which is awesome. And then there's a couple of you who um, are more experienced than that and you don't find me annoying and you're listening. So I think that's I think that's cool um, that I have a multi-generational group of folks who are listening, which is, again, very awesome. Anyway, um, and thank you for the support. Anyhow, um, but everybody who is out of college, all of y'all, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if you were a 70s baby or you were a 60s baby. I wonder if you felt the same pull. Actually, I need to ask my mom. Well, you know what? Because she went to college late because she went to secretarial school and worked for had a state job. So it's not like. She, she, I just need to ask the question because it seems as if her telling me how she grew up, it seemed as if her path was pretty well set. She, she was super smart. She graduated early when secretary, like when I'm saying early, she graduated when she was 16, which was not abnormal in the what early seventies when mama was um, in school. I, I, I honestly, I don't think the way that we fawn over people who graduate young these days, it, many of my mama's brothers and sisters, and even on my daddy's side, they were graduating like 15, 16. Like that was not abnormal for you to graduate 15, 16. What is abnormal is somebody who's 11 or 12. But like, if you're, if you're 15, 16, just getting your license and not even getting a permit and you're graduating high school, that's not abnormal for, I imagine, a lot of um, folks who went to school in and around the 60s and 70s, just because I think the maybe, I don't know, I think things were just a little different, a little more rigid back there, depending on the district you were in. Now, mind you, my um, my mom, well, no, I, I think it was just things were a little bit more rigid. Anyway, um, but I don't remember when my mama, so you pause, I'm doing genealogy and I'm asking, I've been, been doing genealogy, tracking my, my, um, both sides of my mama's tree and, um, holes in the tree that, um, you know, when you make a tree, you go based off as much information as you get, but the more people working on a tree, the more leaves you can fill out. So I'm filling out leaves on the tree that was already started by some very intelligent people on my dad's side of the family who are retirees and had time on their hands. Um, but anyway, but so I've been doing this since 2010, um, like hardcore since 2010. Mind you, off, off and on, but still hardcore since 2010. Anyhow... Um, so in asking a bunch of questions <clears throat> to my family, especially to my mama, um, because I have, I have more questions on her side of the family, more leaves to fill in. And anyway, so my mom, she's just talking about her rearing. And we've talked about some heavy stuff as evidenced by out of uh, Africa, Wichita, Kansas. That's my that's the episode about my mama. Um, I've, I've got an update. I got to do an update to both of those trees, actually, and both of those. I have to, I'm going to do an update, um, probably this fall, but don't quote me anyway. Um, but anyway, and asking mama about high school and all of this stuff, she was pregnant with my sister when she was going into her senior year. Well, she gave birth going into her senior year and then she finished, she finished school and she still finished early. Um, 
<clears throat> which was, and by early, I mean, she was 16 going on 17, um, when she finished. Um, but she literally had a plan and maybe she had a plan because she had a child. Um, and so bam, you know, maybe, maybe life was figured out for her and maybe for, if you're, if you're around my age, maybe for many in our parents' generation, there really weren't any crisis moments. Maybe there were epiphanies where let me just switch and do something else. But for, I think for my generation and certainly for, um, generation coming into generation Z, I imagine there are going to be many more questions because there certainly were a ton of questions for, uh, millennials. Uh, certain, uh, I will, yeah, there's certain, uh, certainly many questions for us. Now, mind you, we did, many of us were graduating or had graduated and then the recession, um, came, which is wild. Or we were graduating while the first, the, the 2008 recession was happening. Right. So it was like, oh, <sighs> yay economy. Right. And so I, I know we're in another entering into another recession now, but, um, Oh my gosh, goodness, that's two recessions in a single generation. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, there's just more, it feels as if, how about that? It feels as if there are more questions in our generations. And so one of the things that I wanted to say was that rap, rap shit really, <clears throat> at least for me, embodies an example of folks who are post-college. They're talking about high school, so they are post, way post-high school, so maybe four or five years out from um, high school and figuring things out. Um, <clears throat> probably longer than that. They're probably, yeah, no, because college is four years. So they're like four or five years out, um, maybe five or six at this point, years out of high school. And, and in the case of Shauna, she's like maybe a year or two out of of. of um, college and she's working at this hotel and she's unhappy. She's bitter because she thought her life was going to go one way and it's actually going another. Oldest story in the book. How many times have we heard this? Like, right? Like that, that story is not new. So yeah, <clears throat> that, that story is, especially <clears throat> in modern times is, is as old as the beginning of modern times. Right. I thought my life was going to go one way and then things changed. Um, and so here she is doing this thing that she never thought she was going to be doing um, and still trying to hold on to a piece of herself that makes her happy, which is rapping and <clears throat> trying to still finding joy in rapping, but not but unhappy with the reception, how, how her rap is being perceived. I say I, res- I resonate with Shauna because she's conscious. She's she her character or Shauna herself. Aida's character. Um, is a, a conscious rapper. Like she literally has the bars, conscious rapper, but she's not getting any, she's not getting any traction. And this leads to conversations that me and my friends, even post-college would have about the difference between, uh, shoot, I, yeah. Shoot, almost like right until, I think we stopped having this conversation maybe about six or seven years ago. So what was that like? Up, up till like three, four years out of college, we were still talking about the difference between conscious rappers um, and how strong lyricists at the time we were, we were remarking how 
Mostef and oh, Talib Kweli, and I regret saying his name given how he has showed his behind um, during the pandemic. But and actually, uh, Yasin Bey has really uh, been showing his behind. But anyway, <clears throat> thinking about Talib Kweli, Yasin Bey, and uh, Common, and even uh, Consequence, even though Consequence actually, n- anyway. All of these people that I just mentioned got some baggage, but everybody do. Um, but like, really, they got some baggage. Um, but anyway, talking about them and then matching their success next to a Jay-Z, uh, a Lil Wayne, any of their counterparts, Sean, Sean Puffy Combs, Big da- um, big, big, Biggie, um, and saying basically the, their, their points were, Actually, you know what? They never brought up Biggie and they never brought up Tupac. They always compared <clears throat> Yasin Bey, Talib, Nas, and um, Common to, yeah, like Lil Wayne and all the rappers that were big in the early 2000s um, and why they couldn't get any shine. And I remember thinking, you know, it's just because the people don't want to hear that. This, now, this was me, again, not really, <clears throat> really absorbing who I was or really finding my place. But I'm like, the people don't really want to hear the truth. Um, and a part of that is true. But that's like, it's not that's black and white. It's very gray. Uh, that's a very that's a very that's a very black and white way of thinking. We know industry. I've already talked about it in the, in the intro about industry and all that stuff. Anyway, let me I got to move on from her. But <clears throat> But in Shauna, I see that same sentiment that I had that, oh, people just don't want to hear the real. They can't handle the real. And it's more nuanced than that, um, especially if you want wide exposure. That's a marketing game, baby. That's a marketing game. And look at Issa Rae. Like, look at Re- And I know I did not mean to do this, but here I am. Issa Rae, what happened in the first episode? The first episode of uh, Insecure. It had... Uh, a multicultural cast, but if we're honest, she never, she didn't, she didn't, throughout the whole show, all what, five seasons, she stayed having a multicultural cast. But what was the difference between season one and seasons two through four? What was the reason? What, what was the difference? The difference is there were less white people in it. It's what it is. That's not a secret. There is no, there's no secret that the, the Hollywood industry, the Hollywood machine only finds something successful if white people are watching it and white people are, and, and the way that they decide that it's successful is that you put white people in it, right? And that's how you draw it. That's, that's a formula, right? But, and they don't give a show merit on its own to just be a good show because the premise of that show isn't that these are a bunch of black kids. About, they're not even kids, black adults, even though it's important to have that representation, it's literally black adults, adults navigating relationships, friend relationships, family relationships, love relationships, and what all that means and success, managing success or managing. I don't even want to say managing success because I have a, I've, we have a weird obsession in the black culture, but then the, our American culture at large, probably globally, we have a weird relationship with success and understanding what success looks like. And rec- <laughs> it's just, it's just wild that like we all push everybody to be super successful and run everything, 
train a bunch of CEOs, but somebody got to work for the company. Yeah. Somebody has to work for the company. And that's just a very capitalist, capitalistic way of thinking. Um, but nevertheless, I still really enjoy the show. And I think anybody can enjoy the show in the same way that every, that people find joy in any show, right? There's lots of commonality there. Even if you don't identify with the culture, there's still tons of things to, to vibe with. And so there are some negotiations that you have to, to make. And then there's some, some negotiations that no, that's, that's, I'm drawing the uh, line in the sand. I'm not going to do all of that. Um, and I think as, I think Issa Rae's show is, is, is good evidence for that. I will say that it's not perfect, but it's good. It's a good representation of what that nuance is like. And I think the conversation that Rap Shit wants us to have is, and, and has it very quickly, which I appreciate with Aida because, uh, not Aida, with uh, Shauna, because she has a revelation pretty quickly um, in the first um, first episode, I think, actually, she has a revelation pretty quickly. And again, the episodes are 31 to 32 minutes long, so we're moving it along. But I think the target, I'm saying all this to say the target demographic, I think is all of us, but it's uniquely speaking to the experience of middle 20-somethings who thought their life was going to be one way and it's turning out to be another as evidenced by Shauna and, and personified by Shauna and also Mia Knight who's played by Chame- Chameleon. Now I've heard of Chameleon the rapper before um, but I hadn't to be honest with you if I'm, I'm being blunt and I'm showing my age or probably my ignorance but I thought that person that was playing Mia Knight was one of the city girls. I thought she was I thought she was um the one that's with Diddy. I don't know. I, th- I thought she was a city girl, but turns out Mia Knight is like a, a loose, loosely based on one, uh, the city girls as a group. But Chameleon is an artist in her own right, and she's been very successful actually. Um, and I, hold on, let me pull up her picture. And of course, it wouldn't be here because duh. Um, anyway, I feel like I've seen her before. I just haven't really had a chance to process her face, but I've definitely um, listened to her music before or heard her music before not knowing it was her. Um, I know that she was on Love and Hip Hop, I think Atlanta or was it Miami at certain some point? And I either wanted, no, it had to have been Miami. Well, no, I can just literally look. Love and Hip Hop Miami. Okay, so here's the thing about Love and Hip Hop Miami. Um, what's her name? Uh the, the, the Afro-Latina um, actress slash singer, she got my attention because she was, number one, she was so beautiful. And number two, like her storyline was interesting. And so to be honest with you, I couldn't get into Love & Hip Hop Miami, even though Pleasure P was on there and all of that stuff. And there was that weirdness going on. I just didn't get to it, get into it as much as I was able to get into Love & Hip Hop Atlanta or, or I really got into Love & Hip Hop LA. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I just got into, well, I feel like there was more, there was more content in Love and Hip Hop Miami. Even though it was content in Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, it just, I was just drawn to Miami for some reason anyway. But, um, but long story short, so Chameleon, her, everybody's heard her music. You might just not have known that it's her, um, but she is, her character, Mia Knight, is... She didn't go to college. She graduated high school 
and and she um I don't I and well hold on let me just a single mother and rapper with a daughter of four supporting herself and her daughter of four um and so the timing on this if we're saying if if we're led to believe and I, I really do think that we're led to believe that these folks are like what 20 22 between 23 and 24 like 23 24 she's got a four-year-old daughter then out of high school let's just assume that she graduated she graduated um when she was 18 like 19 20 she's she's got a child she's out living life she, now she has a child and she's got to do what she's got to do and what did she have to do to support herself so while while um shauna was in college and crafting her rapping skills and pause the other reason why shauna felt like her life was going to go in a different direction is because she had a friend in in their friend group um he was trying to be a producer and he was going to produce Shauna and take her, take her to higher heights. And so that's why she thought her life was going to go in a different direction, but something happened and their relationship split and now she's working at a hotel. And so anyway, so, so Shauna working at a hotel, Mia, Mia went to the, to the club. She was a dancer. And she had to do what she had to do for herself and her daughter because her um, her daughter's father is also a producer, but just not really able to come through for her. Very, not showing up, not not being able to support the way that she needs him to. And so she's doing it for herself and her daughter. So she's a dancer. And... She's a beautiful, she's a beautiful girl. She's a beautiful woman. And so she does what she, she does what she has to do to make money. She does what she thinks she needs to do to make the most money for her daughter. And you can't blame a person for trying to, uh, to exploit their best options available. And I think in her story, what I want to learn more, because in the three episodes that I've seen, we, in the very first episode, we get an understanding and the the first episode is like the coming together so mia mia and shauna reconnecting they were best friends in high school and we learn i think in the first episode because again i watched all three up until this point i think we learned in the first episode that shauna went to college mia didn't and Mia felt like when Shauna went to college, she kind of broke up their friendship, not because she went to college and pursued her own dreams, but because she started acting funny. And Mia started to feel like she wasn't, Mia felt like, in, in essence, Shauna made Mia feel like she was not good enough to be connected with her anymore. And so they, they drifted apart. And they both recognized the drift, but I don't think Shauna understood why they drifted apart until Mia told her in a scene um, where they had gotten together to just hang. Um, but anyway, what I want to explore with what I hope the show explores more with Mia is the fact that it wasn't just that she was the dancer for four years. She's been a dancer for four years. She's been a struggling mom. She's been a mom struggling to make ends meet while also trying to negotiate care with her uh, daughter's father, which deserves a lot of credit because think about it. When does a dancer get her most money? In the evening time. I don't know. I don't know any dancing uh, clubs 
with dancers that are open during the day, unless you're in a, <clears throat> in a, like a resort, not a resort town, but like a, a tourist, a, a big city touristy town. So I'm thinking, and even in that, you, it, it's got to be like Las Vegas or a, a, a city somewhere in Nevada or a place like that, right? I don't know anywhere else where you can be a dancer, an exotic dancer in the daytime. And so she's working, so she's working at night and you know those those uh, establishments, they don't exactly close at 10, okay? So like she's out all evening, so she's got to find childcare. And when it, where is she finding it? Usually in family, uh, close people to her. So she's got to extend her trust to this family, even to her baby's father who can't seem to prove to provide. And I know there's a story there, too. I'm not going to explore it, but I imagine there's a story here, too, of what he thought his life was going to be versus what it is now. But the fact remains that they've got two. This child has two parents, one of which is doing whatever necessary. Actually, no, not even whatever is necessary. She's she's good at dancing. She makes money at it, but she don't want to do it. But she's doing it to make ends meet. And she's been doing it since her child was born. Or you get the sense that, the, I get the sense that she's been doing it since her child was born, but she don't want to do it anymore. She wants to do something else. Um, and when, I will say this, when Mia and, uh, and uh, Shauna meet back up, I think I link back up. There's a moment where they decide, you know, there's, there's a moment where they're in, they're in a car and because this show is true to real life, they go live on either IG or TikTok and they are wasted. They, they've been out, they've had a day. They, this is their first time linking back up since, I believe since they split apart when Shauna went to college or they moved, you know, they drifted apart once, um, began to drift apart when Shauna went to college. And so they're back together and then they're pouring their heart out as only you can when you three sheets to the wind. Um, and you just, letting it all hang out. And so they're talking and they get a moment where they get over their differences. And, they, you know, Shauna apologizes for making Mia feel distant. And and Mia celebrates Shauna and, um, and makes her feel good about her talent. And even though she's not where she wants to be, that doesn't mean that you should stop following your dream. And then Shauna starts rapping because here's the deal. Shauna has always stayed rapping. She just doesn't get any traction on her or she gets a lot of traction on social, but that doesn't translate into traction in real life, nor does it translate to monetary value. Um, Despite what you think, social media uh, creators, content creators, they spend a lot of hours trying to generate money and they have to have multiple revenue streams in order to really make that money. So when you see big time YouTubers or TikTokers with bank, it's not because of that one particular platform. It is because they've monetized that platform and then they've also found other ways to make a living. And you gotta be realistic about that. Anybody that wants to be a TikTok star or wants to be able to bring their content to be a content creator on social media in, in general, you need to be able, you need to understand that you're gonna need to not only be consistent in producing, but you're also gonna have multiple, you, you have to have multiple streams 
of revenue in order to, and, and revenue, but then also ways of engaging in the content that you're creating in order to be successful. And that's not necessarily something that a lot of people know. Certainly it wasn't anything that my generation was told. I imagine, or at least people in my age group told, I think it's something that we kind of learned um, and then spread the wealth. But I think there's still a disconnect because it's just like the rap industry. How many times or entertainment in itself, but specifically in the music business, how many times have we heard any type of star in any sort of genre in, in music? How many times have we heard and even sports too? How many times have we heard they got massive success, bunch of money decade later, if they're not, if their music, if they're not producing new and relevant music, they're broke unless they're doing work behind the scenes. How many times have we heard that? How many times have we heard artists signing up, signing up to deals that were just bad for them? So they made a lot of money, but they didn't actually make a lot of money personally. Um, and so I think just industry knowledge is not one of those things that's widely shared or it's behind a paywall. And if you're already trying to make money, you probably don't have money to put in to go to this thing that you might be scammed out of because scammed out of your money because people do be doing that anyway. So in this moment where Shauna and Mia are engaging, they're drunk and they're engaging on live Shauna starts rapping, Mia starts like going in and kind of being her hype woman and something out of this is birthed. It's a fire rap, they click off the live and something is birthed. The next morning they re-listen to it and it's fire and something is birthed. In the next episode, what we learn is that, actually I'm not talking about anybody else. Well, I will say two mentions. In this show, um, Kid Fury is, is a college friend of Shauna's boyfriend. Um, I'm not even going to bring up too much more about that, except to say that Shauna still has a boyfriend who's, who's pursuing his career in NYU, I think, or somewhere in New York city. And that was our, that was a way to introduce kid fury who somehow is working on the show, but I cannot find his name in the credits. My homegirl mom said that his name was in the credits. I just can't find it. Um, anyway, but he's on there and it was good to see him on there because what do we know? The Reed hasn't produced a show since what, July 9th, because Kid Fury needed to take time for himself. Now, whether or not the show comes back, it's whatever. They haven't said anything about it coming back. They haven't said that it's not coming back. They've just left it kind of, let's, let's focus, let's allow Kid Fury to focus on himself. And it was just good to see him in that initial show. And that, um, that, and it was like briefly on screen. Now, will we see him a lot more? Who knows? Maybe not. Maybe we'll see him in something else, but it was just good to see him on that show, uh, on that episode. But anyway, so, um, I, I just wanted to bring, yeah. So I only want to talk about Mia and Shauna. Predominantly want to talk about Mia and Shauna, but I need to talk about, J- J- uh, what is it? Jabuki, Jabuki, Jabuki White. What's Jabuki White's full name? Jabuki White, Jabuki Young White, who's Francois Boom. Francois Boom is Shauna's college friend who... It wanted to be, it was an aspiring producer who Shauna felt was going to take her to success, help her realize success. And even he said, he, he said he was going to help her realize success, but what ended up happening was we learned in the third episode that what ended up happening was that he 
was hired. He got an opportunity to support another artist that was already a little bit big and make him bigger. And in doing so became super famous. And then his, his career catapulted into just overdrive and Shauna was left in the dust. And so that is why Shauna's, Shauna feels like that is why her life is not on the trajectory that it was. What we get to see by the third episode, what we actually, actually we see this in the second, um, when the next morning after Shauna and Mia have woken up and, you know, they listened to what they created on, uh, on live, um, that they could do something. And so Shauna sees this opportunity as a way to get her music back out there and get back in the game. And Mia sees this as an, op- as an opportunity to, to do something new, to venture out and really just try her hand at, at music in this very specific way. She was good at what she did, the ad libs that she added, like they were a good duo. And, and Mia was rapping too if I'm remembering the rap. And so they wake up the next morning with enthusiasm. Shauna more than Mia, even though Mia was super excited, Mia wanted to make sure that it was something that would be marketable. And um, um, Shauna wanted to do conscious rap. Again, back on her conscious rap, as if to say there's only one way that she wants to be heard. And there is an important conversation about women's representation. And if I could be so blunt at, well, if I could take it there, Shauna kind of represents a pseudo hotep kind of way of thinking, very conservative, but also new agey in that you don't have to show all your body off or you don't have to talk about sex to be sexy. You don't have to show your body off to be sexy, which is all true. You can dress modestly and still be beautiful, be considered desirable. Um, and you can rap about anything. You can sing about anything and still be taken seriously. But there is nothing wrong with a woman wanting to be sexy and talk about sexy things. That's, that in itself is not inherently bad. That is not denigrating, inherently denigrating. Um, is, that, is that the right usage of the term? You know what I mean. Um, and so... There's an important conversation. I believe it happens kind of early in the second episode. And then they kind of see eye to eye. They meet and and Mia is the one driving this conversation. Mia is like, you are, although I don't totally agree with where they landed. I think in a 32, in a max 32 minute episode, you gotta, you gotta land somewhere, right? You gotta land the plane somehow. And so while it kind of lands a little clumsily for me, the point is still well made, I think, that a woman deciding how she wants to be represented is the is the freedom there regardless of how she wants to be represented that she has the ability to do it and exercises it is feminism is able to is able to exercise that is her being a free woman the point that Mia made was you are forcing yourself to dress modestly because men have told you that this is it. Not because you want to, but because you want to please men. You're no different than the woman who's dressing sexually just to please men. So in this context, I choose to, we choose to be sexy because we want to. It ain't got nothing to do with no man. Now, again, in this conversation, it's very ham-fisted. It's a, it's a little bit ham-fisted and also it's very binary. Um, 
But here we are in talking about this conversation. It was an, an important baseline. This, the, while the nuance was not there for me in the conversation, who knows how many young people or how many, not even young, how many people who've been exposed to this conversation, perhaps for the first time, that might be able to then take the conversation a bit further. I think it was a, well, it was a smart conversation to have, regardless of whether or not it went far enough for me. I think it was still a smart conversation to have as a vehicle for bringing them back together to create this art that ultimately they're good at making. And so they have the moment where there's a moment where Mia walks away, but then she comes back and then they have that conversation that I just talked about. And then boom, they start recording in um, Shauna's bedroom, uh, bedroom closet that she's now turned into like something like a sound studio um, with like egg cartons and whatnot. And so they make this music. They also, there is a point where Issa has recycled some actors and her brother, I believe the guy who is her brother, Issa's brother on Insecure, is now the cousin of, or somebody very closely connected to Shauna, who is basically a, you got it, man. I, I uh, what did my daddy call him? You know, that person, that person that can somehow miraculously always come up with that thing that you want. You know, maybe there's not a particular name for them or maybe everybody calls them something different, but that one person who, if you say you need tickets to the Ravens game or you need tickets to the Knicks game or the Raiders game, or, you know, whatever, if you need something to the Rays game or whatever, I'm just, yeah, whatever, um, or some concert, they're going to magically be able to find some tickets. You don't question where they got it. You don't question the authenticity of it. You just move and stick and move. Or magically you say, you know what? I really want to get into VIP. And magically there's a way path. They tell you come here at such and such time and don't be late. Don't be early. Don't be late and slide on through. You don't question it. And they say, be cool. You don't question it. You just get yourself together. You be cool and you do, you know, you go on about your business. That he, um, the guy that plays, the person that plays Issa Rae's brother in Insecure is now that type of guy. And he's Haitian too. And that's another thing that I love because one of the things that people forget, I think sometimes is how many different, how, di how culturally diverse Miami is. Because not only do they have Latinx folks, and specifically Cubanos, uh, or people from Cuba, uh, and people from uh, other Latin American countries that you tend to see a lot, but there's also a huge Haitian population, which is right there, a huge Caribbean population in general. Um, and so to have some Haitians on there speaking Creole, I think is awesome. Um, and so he plays a Haitian Creole. He's not, yeah, he's shysty. He's shysty, um, but he loves, he, he's cool, you know, that's Shauna. You know what I'm saying? He always going to come through for Shauna. And that's, he's, I don't know if they're actual family, but they're, he, he, they family. Anyway, I think I might have missed that part. But anyway, so he gets her some studio equipment and they begin to record. And then they need a producer. They need somebody to put it together and mix it, master it, basically put the little touches, drums and stuff on there to, to, to make the, to make the sound really pop, uh, um, to make the song really go, go hard. 
And so, and pause, just the, the rap that they did in the YouTube video or the live is the rap that they recreate to record. And so they need somebody to mix it, master it. And Mia's, um, uh, the father of Mia's, Mia's ex is a producer. And so he's down on his luck. She stands in the gap for him when he really needs her. I think his car is repossessed because he couldn't pay the, couldn't pay the bill. And so, um, she comes in the clutch for him when he really needs her. And as in, in exchange, he agrees to produce their song. And so he's in there mixing and mastering it. And then he gets a masterpiece. I actually think this is the third episode. He has something like a masterpiece. They, and it sounds great. So now we have this trio of folks and they're onto something. So it's, what is, it's, it goes Mia, Mia, Shauna and Cliff, who's played by Davon Terrell, who I feel like I have never seen him before, but he, apparently he's played, he played the young, the young Barack Obama and Barry and Arthur in the Netflix original series, Cursed, which I've never seen. Anyway, I started to watch Barry when I was in Martha's Vineyard. It was debuting when we went there. Um, we, we went there to go to the Black Film Festival that they uh, do in Martha's Vineyard. Um, Hubby and I also, honey, that was where our honeymoon was, Martha's Vineyard, with all the black people. Um, we need to go back to Martha's Vineyard. Anyway, um, but, but anyway, that film debuted at the Black Film Festival when we were there, but I didn't watch it. I think I was just over it. And plus I'm anti sometimes. So that's how I go anyway. Um, but let me, let me hasten on. So, but Cliff, so Cliff is Mia's, um, uh, ex. And so he's mastering it. And so now now they're at the point where they've mastered. There are other storylines that are happening too that I'm just not getting into. There is a club promoter who um, is trying to make some real money. And I don't even know how she's, or I don't even know how they identify, but I don't know how they are connected to Mia and Shauna other than they just know both of them. Um, and they show up and they say, well, let me be your manager. And so now a trio is becoming a quartet and we want to know where this goes. You know, we're, 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 it feels like we're on the, the ground floor of something really big. So we've got two artists, a producer and a manager. And we've all seen like Cliff can, Cliff is a good producer. We've already seen the talents of Mia and Shauna and we are introduced. I got to get the name of this person. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. Be a problem for me. Casting characters. Hold on. Um, was it Ryan? Nope. Hold on. Hold on, because this is gonna get. This is gonna infuriate me. Um, Daniel. Hold on. Amanda. Jabuki White. I've already told it. Brittany. Dominique, dang, they don't, I don't think I, I think I missed it. Maybe it's Brittany. No, no, maybe it's Alicia. Maybe it's Alicia. 
Maybe it's Alicia. Anyway, um, or maybe it's Fatima. No, Cliff's lost. No, wait a minute. My bad. And not, I'm, I'm sorry, not Cliff. Lamont. Lamont is the producer. Cliff is um, Davon Terrell play the young Barack Obama dub because he light skin. Um, Cliff is Shauna's long distant boyfriend who's in law school in New York. And RJ Seiler, who played in some stuff that I don't think he played. Oh, he played in Harder They Fall. Oh, he was the young kid in the. Oh, oh, dang. He was the, he was the quick draw that got killed by Lakeith Stansfield's character. Never mind. Anyway, um, all right. So blah 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 blah. So he is he is Lamont. Lamont is the producer. Cliff is the boyfriend. Uh, so Lamont is the ex of Mia and the producer. Cliff is the long distance boyfriend of Shauna. Um, and I cannot remember the name of the. I guess I got to watch it again. The name of the the woman who wants to be or the person who wants to be their um, Shauna and Mia's producer or not producer, but um, manager. So because they've made this song, they've gotten it met and produced. Now they need to get it out. And so here, I think this next episode, episode four, is going to take us to the club because you got to get your you got to get your stuff played. That was where what Mia was missing. She had a producer, but she couldn't get it out there. And so this person is going to help move it out. And so in episode four, hopefully we get to see that because it's for the how the episodes go. Episodes go. uh, Episode four is supposed to be titled something for the clubs. So. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy this. I think we haven't had, I can't recall, apart from Bad Boys and Love and Hip Hop um, Miami, I can't think of a show that is sharing black life. Yeah, uh, just black life, but also young adult black life, but like black life in Miami. Black and brown people in my, actually this is a black cast. But still, Black Life in Miami. I don't know a show that's done that. I know College Hill's done a season there, I think. I think it, were they in FAMU? Can't call it. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I'm excited to see the rest of this. I, I live for cultural moments. When I was in college, my cultural moment was the Chappelle show, which looking back on it now was extremely problematic in many different ways, but that was my cultural moment. That was the thing that brought me and my college friends around the, the, the table. That's what we would talk about. We would be in our dorms watching that show. And so to think that some other college kids or some other young people are going to be able to go and see themselves in some way on TV or resonate with some, be a part of something, feel like their culture, or at least a piece of them is represented on TV, I think is pretty great. And which is probably in a lot of ways, actually, to be honest with you, I still felt represented very well in Issa Rae's, uh, in, in um, Insecure, because that still felt culturally relevant to me. This is culturally relevant. It's just not culturally relevant to me. So I resonate with some of the characters, even though this is not speaking to me necessarily. Um, and I just, I live for the opportunity for somebody else to feel represented in some way, which is pretty exciting. So I'm looking forward to it. But anyway, so that's it. Those are, that's the first three episodes or my take on the first three episodes of rap shit. Looking forward to episode four and beyond. 
Um, yeah. So hope you're watching it. If you're not watching it, um, get into it, figure out how to watch it and get into it. Cause you, you miss it out. Anyway, that is it for now. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you immensely. Um, thank you for, for giving this show four or five stars, leaving positive reviews. I do read them. Um, and if I'm on it, I will read it in the um, episode and following episode after you left your comment. Um, if you don't feel like doing any of those things, just share this episode with somebody you think might dig it. Um, because ultimately that helps spread the reach of this thing and keep me, keeps me doing this little hobby that I do. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Love on yourself. Take care of yourself. I just learned something today that something, even though you spray uh, sanitizer or uh, disinfectant, that disinfectant um, can only be can only be effective if you are already spraying it on a cleaned surface and then it has to dry up to 10 minutes. 10 minutes is the rule. And then you can truly say something has been disinfected. You need to clean, sanitize and then disinfect. If that's how you, if that's how you want to move, that's how you do that. So I'm talking about doors and handles like inside your home, inside your car on your things, your desk at work, clean, sanitize, disinfect. Three different steps. All right. Anyway, until next time, take care.